You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylight. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Hallie. Today, we're welcoming Jared McGinnis to read from his new book, The Coward. Before I introduce him, I just want to remind you that Skylight Books offers online ordering on our website, www.skylightbooks.com, and our hours are 10 to 10 every day. Now on to the show. Jared McGinnis was chosen as one of the UK's 10 best emerging writers. His debut novel, The Coward, was selected for BBC Two's Between the Covers, BBC Radio 2's Book Club, and listed for the Barbellion Prize. He is the co-founder of The Special Relationship, which was chosen for the British Council's International Literature Showcase. He was the creative director for Moby Dick Unabridged, a four-day immersive multimedia reading of Herman Melville's Moby Dick at the South Bank Center. His short fiction has been commissioned for BBC Radio 4 and appeared in respected journals in the UK, Canada, USA, and Ireland. He is or has been an associate writer for Spread the Word, a mentor for the Word Factory, a fellow of the London Library's T.S. Eliot Emerging Writer Program, and a writer in residence for First Story. He also has a PhD in artificial intelligence, but mostly he inspires the able-bodied by using public transport and taking his daughters to the playground. Welcome, Jared. I'm so happy to have you on today. Thanks for having me, Helen. Um, So I think we're going to start with a short reading from The Coward. Um, Sounds good. Um, So this starts uh, near the beginning, and it's just basically uh, the main character, Jared, um, who's had to come home to live with his father, Jack, who hasn't seen in 10 years um, after since running away from home. And this is just a chapter where he kind of starts to go out and about, um, and you kind of get a feel for how he interacts with uh, people. And he meets one of the other main characters, a uh, barista named Sarah. I dug around the junk drawer in the kitchen, looking for something to write with. There was a box of matches, which I took, which made me think about cigarettes and having at 26 to ask my father if I could borrow money for smokes. That was too much reality for this early in the day. I found a metal pen with surprising heft. Uh, It was a freebie from my brother Patrick's business, McGinnis Properties, written in a fancy John Hancock script. I wrote, Jack, going to take a walk, Jared. I thought about that sentence. Take a walk. What else do you write? I crumpled the paper and went to find Jack in his greenhouse. Jack, I'm going out for a bit. He said, well, it's almost two. If If you wait until I clean up, I'll go with you. I kind of want to be by myself. There was worry on his face. He was trying to calculate the right thing to say. Calm your old balls, I said. I'll be fine. I don't get far on foot. Yeah, that's true, he chuckled. You need some money? And before I could answer, Jack fished out of his wallet from his back pocket and handed me a soil smudge 20. Thanks. I crossed the gutter at the end of the driveway a little more easily this time. Left was how we went to Mr. Donut. I went right. There was a grocery store at the end of the neighborhood and I could get smokes there. 
I pushed myself along the street, and this was the first time since the accident that I had been alone. Before the accident, I preferred solitude. Now, with the chair, being alone scared me. And at the crosswalk with the zipping traffic, it made me flinch. I hated myself for the cowardice as I waited for the light to change from don't walk to walk. My palms were sweaty. I looked left, right, left, right, scared that at any moment a car was going to slam into me. With every push across the intersection, panic fluttered into my chest. When I reached the other side, I had to wait a few seconds for my hands to stop shaking enough so I could continue pushing my wheels. In the grocery store, I went up and down the aisles from produce to dairy with no real purpose. It had been so long since I had been shopping that it felt novel again. A teenager in a store's uniform stopped, stopped stacking cans of tomato soup as I passed by. Hello, sir. Can I help you with anything today? No, I'm fine. Okay, let me know if there's anything you can't reach, he said as I continued down the aisle. In the meat section, I, I maneuvered to lift, try to lift a ham into my lap. Before I could, another teenager, a girl this time, appeared, her ponytail swinging behind her. I can bring that up to the front for you, sir. She reached to take the ham from me. I got it, thanks. You sure? Yes, thanks, I said. You sure, you sure? Okay, have a nice day, she said, and bounced away. I was stopped once more before I decided to leave. At the service counter, I was carded for the cigarettes. I showed him my ID. Are you here all by yourself? Yes, I said testily. Was it a car accident? Really? We stared at each other. The ham too, he said, pointing at my lap. No, this is my ham. There are many like it, but this one is mine. And I slapped the meat. Sorry, sir. He took my money and gave me my change for, my, for the cigarettes. Have a nice day. You too, I said. Moving away, the weight of the ham making it difficult. I sat outside the grocery store and had a cigarette. Shoppers went in and out and the nicotine reverie tugged my thoughts along. I wasn't ready to go back to the house. And across the street from the grocery store, there was a 1950s gas station uh, that, that had been converted into a coffee shop called the filling station. Inside had everything expected of a coffee shop, raw wood tables, exposed brick, a roasting philosophy chalked on a large piece of slate. And above the tables, bromeliads hung instead of light bulbs at the end of electrical fixtures. Some had up, turned upwards to form red-leafed jays. The barista was about my age. She was singing along to the music and wiping down the coffee machine. She was pale, she was red-haired. Her t-shirt said, sexy senior citizen in tiny letters. When she turned, I noticed her belt had missed one of the loops in the back. She greeted me with, nice ham, what would you like? Black coffee for me and Senor Hamon here will have a water. I picked a table with a view of the counter and I set my ham in the chair next to me and drank my coffee. Later back at home, Jack came out of the garage when he heard the front door. So how'd your first solo flight go? I held the meat out to Jack. It was pork and gimp day. Bring a cripple, get a ham. What luck, right? He took it from me and put it in the fridge without comment. I lay on the couch, the locking of brakes, the positioning of the feet on the floor, the transfer over. The pulling of the legs up one by one had become automatic. Jack came back with a letter in his hand and sat in his favorite chair. My stomach turned as I tried to guess what kind of letter. Now, you, you promise not to freak out on me? I don't know. Freaking out's my thing. I tried to stay calm, shifting so that I was lying on my side and I could see him better. 
Knees clunked together, and there was a flash of electric fire from my damaged nerves. You don't have to tell me, Jack said. However, I did meet the love of my life today, so, you know, maybe today's a, a good time for new, bad news. Oh, yeah? That's good. Very good. Fingers crossed she has a thing for men and aluminum. Hit me. What's in the letter? I stretched my arm out, and Jack handed it to me. A gentleman by the name of Farouk Althani, or more exactly, Mr. Althani's lawyer. Well, he writes to say that he is performing an asset search and is asking me for my home insurance policy details. I clenched my jaw. The letter mentioned Melissa's death, my responsibility, and referred to civil case law as if quoting Bible verses. That car should have killed me too. Listen here. I got two things, doodly and squat, and he can have both of them. Listen to me. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about you. Thank you so much. Um, no that section really captures the, the heart, I feel, that's in the book. Um, and just, yeah, also, of course, the, the beautiful way and the very funny way that you write. Um, so before, I have a lot of questions, but I would love to just hear and for our listeners to hear just a little bit about yourself and about the book and how it came to be. Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, um, I, uh, I, as my kind of very long bio said, <laughs> I, I studied computers. I did at Edinburgh. That's what made me end up from Texas to, to the UK. And, you know, I've basically been in the UK for 20 years now, uh, just recently kind of moved again. And um, I, I didn't study literature. I just, I, um, I, I read a lot. I read a lot. And then uh, after I finished my degree and I got my first job, I was like, well, I've been talking about being a writer. Let's actually do it. Mm -hmm. um, I started with short fiction because that is like, it's, it's the form I love the most. It's the most dear to me. Um, it's such a, such a, yeah, I just have just a great fondness for its plasticity and uh, what you can do in, the, in such a short space. I really love the concision and even in the novel, I, I try to go for concise, sharp, precise prose. Um, and that's definitely coming from the writers that I love who can do that well. Um, the book itself started as short stories. Um, it had a kind of long gestation period. Um, and it's funny, I started winning kind of prizes for the short stories and you immediately um, the agents come up to you and like, oh, congratulations, are you writing a novel? because <laughs> uh, we don't do short stories no. um so i kind of just out of like peak i was like wow never, never, i'm a short story writer um but i kind of noticed a lot of these stories had things in common and i was talking about the same space and probably the same there's a lot of common there's a lot of themes and i was like i think this is something bigger and really so some of those short stories started to become scenes of a larger piece and just kind of figuring my way, you know, again, like taking this very kind of scientific approach of like, okay, what are the novels that affected me? Mm -hmm. I quite like structure. So it's kind of looking at structure. And so there's kind of a, there's a dual narrative structure in the book that kind of, kind of folds in on itself. Um, and, uh, you know, just that, that really helped because that structure then kind of enabled me to do the marathon that is, you know, you know, the first draft, which is like a hundred thousand words. I think now it's, 75 or something like that um and again that, I, that's me just obsessed with concision and making it just a really tight experience um 
but saying that I had to learn how to write a novel because they're very different from short stories. All my intuitions were short stories and I really had to unlearn a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I was always kind of sniffy about novelists who write short stories saying, ah, it's easy. Um, and now I have full appreciation that <laughs> they are very different forms. Oh, yeah. Uh, short yeah. I mean, short stories are closer to poetry than they are, you know, a novel. Um, but I loved it. And it's really kind of fascinating. It's such a different experience. Also, what you're doing for the reader is very different. Um, and uh, yeah, so did the usual stuff. You just kill yourself alone thinking you're insane for a large unreasonable number of years mm -hmm. uh, and then eventually you know uh, uh, an agent gets interested and then eventually an editor gets interested and it was just that kind of you know and and that's you know it the books these days have to be really tight to even get an interest there's so many people writing there's so many people and uh, even then like there's still a year of me working on the book with the agent and a year again working with the editor and they've made it a better book you know they really kind of I think the main thing they, they gave my self-confidence to write it. And I think that's, that's a huge thing. That's a really huge thing. And um, it literally wasn't until the copy edits that I was, I was, uh, I thought the possibility that I had maybe written a good book. <laughs> uh, that's about as far as I can go. And knowing that like, you could write the greatest book in the world and it will all my heroes died penniless <laughs> and forgotten. <laughs> um, you know, and I just, I knew like, okay, now it's not up to me and the, the universe and the universe has been very kind. Uh, you know, it's been a, a success beyond my kind of dreams and um, yeah. And I, I sold the film and TV rights and that's yeah. bought me time to write. And that's, that's gosh, you know, what a treat, you know? So I'm just, that clock is ticking and I'm, trying to get it done to just be able to write until the dream is over basically so yeah um i will just go ahead and say for the record that it is a good book so you can <laughs> that. i'm I'm a, I'm a little bit more confident now yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, it's not a grand ruse to just kind of yeah, yeah. <laughs> inching um, up towards confidence um yeah. uh so are you well i guess you said you're writing now are you writing another novel and um yeah are you writing another novel I, I don't know what it is yet I'm you know this 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 book was like this kind of exploration of fictionalizing self it's a novel but you know my character the character and me share a lot of commonalities and I did that for a lot of reasons ultimately because um nobody was going to let me not be this character because I'm also disabled I'm in a I'm in a wheelchair I have a similar injury to Jared the character and I just, you know, the book kind of came out of me leaning towards those kind of autobiographical elements. And at the time, I was teaching some young writers who were basically just writing very thin simulacrums of themselves in fiction. I'm like, why are we doing this? And then like, then there's a long history of male authors hiding their misbehavior uh, in their fiction, you know, like, I always use Philip Roth because it's kind of the most glaringly obvious thing that he was a wrong in, but you know, for a long time, it's like, hey, it's fiction, it's not me. Mm -hmm. And you know, Carver was, you know, and these, and I was thinking about this. And uh, so I was like, let's stop, let's stop being coy and let's admit to this, this some yeah. of the ugliness. And, uh, but it is fiction and I have no interest, I had no interest in kind of, um, you know, 
writing autobiography but I did look at memoir and to see because it was a it was a genre in which I didn't read mm -hmm. and I was like why is this compelling particularly I know in America it's quite a compelling uh, form and why is it so poo-pooed like it really there's a real sniffiness about memoir from novelists and uh, you know that's also historically interesting because you know the novel was considered a woman's form and real you know and you just like as soon as you kind of have that kind of sniffiness and that kind of arrogance I'm like I think you're missing an opportunity so let's look at that and um and to, to be fair a lot of memoir is terrible and it <laughs> relies on a lot of terrible tropes and um but um, narcissism but... yeah exactly and so like I was like okay how do, but what can I steal from there mm -hmm. and so there is a little bit of kind of a thread of memoiric voice um that it's just a light touch again to kind of bring that voice of jared that's so kind of often and also to kind of make the readership which i knew was going to inevitably be able-bodied really understand what the, dis the a disabled experience is like rather than what tends to happen with underrepresented voices mm -hmm. is just kind of pumping out this you get somebody to pump out the same old the, you know kind of biases that are already have like the in disability it would be the triumph over adversity right so like right. basketball star gets hurt and then you know gets in a wheelchair and then becomes a basket you know a, a wheelchair basketball star and i very early make a joke about that because <laughs> <So> they, <laughs> they do they try to give you i'm tall and as soon as they saw like a tall guy in a wheelchair, I was going to shove a basketball in my lap. And I was like, I, I don't like, I didn't like sports then. I don't like now. And so like, yeah, make it know, a Jared, hand. The, yeah. <laughs> so just leave me be, you yeah. know? Um, and that's, that's really what this, this novel was poking at was really kind of to think about, to really get people to understand truly. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and that, and that came out of, again, like people pushing me to write the book they thought I should write. And inevitably it was when they, wait a minute, I'm the guy in the wheelchair. Why are they, they should be listening to me. And I just, I had to figure out how to write a book good enough that they would listen because they don't want to. <laughs> it's much easier to just, just do right. another one, uh, ones that they, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just inevitable. And you have, you have a lovely quote in the Guardian. Um, you say it's vital to have access to stories where characters with disability reflect the experiences we have rather than the experiences we are assumed to be limited to. Mm, yeah. um, which I thought was really powerful and which this book, you know, very much does. And I'm, I'm curious how, A, if it kind of affected the way you see your own identity, if there was some, because you were writing, you know, about a character with your name, mm. um, with the same disability, if there was, yeah, if, if just kind of how that, um affected you as a person yeah I mean I think um I was always kind of I, I still very am um uh, kind of against the label of disabled because it just it's pretty meaningless and if you terms of like if you know right now we like putting people in categories and boxes and that one seems the most absurd uh they're all absurd but that one particularly because the that it's just it's such a broad range of experiences that it's yeah. to the point of like and, and I kind of make the joke is kind of uh, it, more accurate would be to describe this group of experience, experiences that people have as impeded by others' antipathy. And yeah. that's that's the only thing we have in common is that, you know, nobody else gives enough, gives the care enough 
to to let us get on with our lives. Right. And so for me, it's I'm in a wheelchair. So for me, the most important thing is curb cuts uh, and accessible transport and all this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But somebody who is uh, in difficulty in hearing or sight or, you know, mental disabilities is so it's such, again, it's such a broad I could it's just such a broad thing. And so a lot of that is kind of I'm constantly punching at that. And it's funny, as soon as you've got you're like, I wrote a book that does that. Right. But then the publicity around that wants to wants you always to like go back to that. And actually, I have to say people have been very brilliant, uh, maybe because I'm polite when I'm spiky, but like, uh, you know, I'm like, you know, you know, that's nonsense, right? Like, and um, as long as I can say that it's nonsense in the piece, I'll write your piece for you. Right. Um, and um, to me, that's my that's my giving back to the people who came before me who fought really hard mm -hmm. and in to give me the rights I have to, and I just got back from the United States and it is an it, the ADA was incredible it's incredible what it has achieved and yes of course there are kind of dark forces inevitably wanting to remove that uh that are very active of these days uh -huh. um but it was something that I think Americans should be very proud of and how much it made my life what it is possible uh and uh and it's just yeah i can't help but feel like very very proud that at one point we were you know legislating to make life better <laughs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be a nice little trend to catch on but um so yeah great. a little perk yeah um yeah um and because you know i live in europe now and i see it's it's very mixed uh and but you just see the ada is very strong and yeah just it makes life better for a lot of people mm -hmm. and it's even if you never use it uh i just kind of want to be in a world that would do that you know mm -hmm. um and yeah so and it was just kind of one of my observations of come coming back um so, so yeah so in terms of what i kind of learned i have to say it was more about it was an honest view of how i felt about the trauma that i experienced yeah. Uh, and that was fascinating because I, I wrote this 20 years after my own injury. Mm -hmm. So I pretty much have adjusted to uh, a, dis you know, a, 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 a disabled body. And, you know, a lot of the tension in The Coward is him, you know, he's able, you know, that's that whole thing of like mentally he's able bodied, but his physical appearance isn't. And that's a real struggle for him. At, and, and it is for every, for anyone, for anyone it would be. Um, and, uh, yeah, but actually there was some unprocessed grief. Yeah. And I got, once I got it out in the book and got it out, that's just, this is the kind of, this is the witchcraft that is fiction mm -hmm. and literature is if you get it right and it's true, it just, it does, it does create magic. And the kind of thing, the gift it gave me is that I kind of, uh, it kind of, you know, cleared out a, a, a lot of uh, ghosts haunting me. Yeah, um, and I'm much more secure in, in myself uh, and my identity and also kind of what happened to me. So. Yeah. Do you think you could have written um, a book closer to your injury or maybe 10 years ago or? No, I mean, I looked at I looked at things I wrote. I did. I did have to do research because, yeah. <laughs> you know, my you know, I just I just don't think about my chair. The only time I do is, again, when I'm impeded by people's antipathy, right. uh, when I have to like, oh, you've parked right there, you ass. And that happens a lot in Marseille. <laughs> they just park anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Anywhere is a parking space if you're brave enough. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, and also, yeah, it's an interesting question. If I had done the time, because, you know, I had a good tutelage of writing with short stories for, you know, about five years. And that was such a great kind of education, um, just really studying that close. Um, Yeah, it's a good question. I don't think so. I really don't think so. I really think it needed that distance. I think I needed to move to Europe so I could write about this faraway land. Yeah. Uh, you know about this yeah you know this brutal land with no social health care <laughs> in which you could get kicked out of a hospital <laughs> yeah so, I wish um, it was science fiction yeah but it was it really was that kind of it was kind of that remoteness and also kind of thinking about my childhood and my you know growing up in growing up in America I didn't think it was in I didn't think anything of it because I was around Americans yeah then you move to Scotland and you start telling them like yeah I grew up with guys that own circuses and they're like what like I was like don't don't didn't you always know somebody who had a pet pygmy hippo I mean that seems normal to me okay all right you know I was like hey maybe I have stories I could tell and that's that's yeah. literally is how it started was kind of telling yeah stories yeah that's incredible and there are so many themes in this book also it's packed um I don't want to fixate on on one of them and the book has also been referred to as uplifting and optimistic and very funny which it is but I wonder how if a if you agree with that sentiment and b how you kind of manage to make a book about um, you know, addiction and all of this, uh, <laughs> uplifting and optimistic and funny, yeah. pretty, um, it's a pretty remarkable feat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's just, it, it helps to have a sick sense of humor. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, it did, yeah, it did, it did practical work mm-hmm. because I knew I was going to tell, a, you know, it, actually when you, when you get your book out, they send you this like questionnaire of like, how would you sum up your, your book? Yeah. And I said, mm-hmm this year's funniest story about childhood drama death addiction and disability um they didn't use that one but i thought it was pretty good yeah (laughs) it's a pretty safe bet um Mm -hmm. but um yeah it was it i mean i knew i was going to write some work through some very dark heavy emotional material and i didn't want to make this like slog of misery which it's, it's one approach to a book and, you know, I'm a fan, <laughs> but that's not what I wanted to do for this yeah. also. And so I did think about that balance. And so it was about putting that balance in and it's a real tricky bastard. Cause if you, you know, when a joke lands ba- poorly, um, it ruins the book. And I couldn't, I didn't want to do farce, like, um, you know, like BD's like sellout, which is just wonderful. I mean, I just love it but I didn't want to, I didn't want to go that far heightened. I mean, and, and some of these, I mean, so I was like, it was balancing that and the humor comes out of the interactions of the, of the characters and, and Jared's kind of, you know, kind of, um, you know, gimlet eyed view of, of, right. of his people responding to his disability and probably disability as well. I mean, the, in the piece I read is quite, you know, there's, you know, I use all the horrible words um, and it's really interesting. I get from young writers, like, you know, what, how did you make that decision to write these kind of, you know, terrible words like cripple and gimp and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And for me, it was like, I, you know, it, it had to be done. Those words are out there and said, and where Jared is mentally, he's thinking of them. 
So it would be almost dishonest not to do that. But I was very careful not to kind of use derogatory terms for anybody else because this is about this was about the, the disability. Yes, and I think the fact that the Jared of the book has the sense of humor that the book is itself conveying is um, does a lot of work. Yeah. In yeah. it too, I think if if he didn't have a sense of humor, it it wouldn't. It oh, wouldn't it, Happen. Well, I, st I start a book with a guy who's been in a car accident who's severely depressed. I mean, what a dumb thing to do. Like, it's that's really like painting yourself into a corner. Like, mm -hmm. depressed people are and are hard to write about because they're not interesting. It's a dark, horrible place. And that was one of like, how do I how do I get the reader past this period? Um, but not, but again, kind of being an honest portrayal and, you know, it's where Jack is kind of has his kind of bad jokes and, you know, um, yeah. And that was one of the kind of early problems to solve. Like once you've kind of set things out, you're like, oh man, like I've just made it really hard for myself, but that was the book I needed to write. So yeah, yeah. You have to just solve those problems. And there, there's also so much happening with language in the book, um, in the passage you read, Jared or the woman who walks away bounces away and I think mm. in in the context of reading about someone in a wheelchair that takes on a whole new meaning meaning um and you do that really subtly throughout the whole the whole novel which is really wonderful yeah um, no, I think it was again it was just something I kind of like how uh, it was it's very embodied mm -hmm. um and in particular with Jared in the beginning you know, that was something I worked really hard in kind of those observations of body. So, you know, I knew, again, most of my readers would not uh, have this experience. It's like, how do I get them to feel it? Like, how do I get them like, you know, really feeling his his pain? Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I want that almost like a almost like a horror or a thriller where they're kind of like tightening their body and kind of shrinking and just really wanting it to be over. And then kind of the chapter ends and they can relax. Um, yeah. And that was, again, to kind of give that experience because how else, I mean, this is where, again, literature is such a perfect form for that because you can get into the head and you can start pulling the levers inside somebody else's head just through language. I mean, that's, right. that's amazing. Yeah. Um, who were your literary influences or what, what were you kind of reading and thinking about when you were oh. writing this book? Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good question. It's been kind of so long now. It was interesting when I was kind of rereading it recently, I, I could see vestiges in terms of talk about language use. Uh, I could see vestiges of Dennis Johnson, like clearly like whether I, I achieve, you know, it, it's um, certainly like he's someone who is just full of just kind of beautiful phrases and language and it's really living and it's not stayed and it's not, purple and he just does it kind of incredible but there's also this just wealth of humanity amongst kind of broken people mm -hmm. um and that recently I kind of thought about it's like oh yeah I mean there's definitely some some of his fingerprints in there but also kind of classic literature I wanted to tell I wanted to write a novel and it has a very kind of classic structure because it was my first novel and I thought it would be safer to have that so I could and, you know, instead of trying to figure out what the span was over, you know, 80,000 words or whatever, you know, I, I could use that, that structure and that architecture to kind of guide me. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Do you think your 
um, desire for concision comes at all from your PhD in artificial intelligence, which I also have a lot of questions about, but I want to ask. <laughs> um, that's interesting. I mean, I mean, my degree was basically maths, so maybe, yeah. but um, uh, it was, uh, I, th I think it just does come from my love of short story. And also I would say, you know, I mean, we're getting kind of dangerous kind of territory because my PhD is not in literature, but um, the kind of British tradition, uh, the Irish and, and the British tradition of just that real precision of language and the real tightness that they love. And sometimes I feel it's too tight and mm -hmm. they need to like kind of let the voice, let it breathe a little bit where I think that's where the American tradition uh, is what I love is that there's this kind of looseness in the flowing of language. And it's not like you might be able to pull out a, a, a word here and a word there, you know, because you, you get these things of like always move out, take out just and seem and, and all these kind of things. And there's a real looseness of it, but, you know, it creates a kind of naturalism. And I'm just some, I think so. I probably picked that up from the UK and just kind of being fast, reading all these classic British authors. Um, but because I wasn't forced to in school, you know, I had to read Edgar Allan Poe while they were reading Dickens or um, yeah, Charles Dickens, mm -hmm. you know, I could kind of just come to it fresh and as just a lover of language. Um, and yeah, just kind of really discovering it. It was great. I mean, it was just kind of wonderful to have a whole new literary tradition um, that I really didn't know and kind of having people hand me books like um, The Ragged Trousered Th Th Philanthropist uh fantastic early 20th century kind of proto-socialist communist book about house painters uh just loved it never heard of it until i moved to the uk you know i haven't either <laughs> uh, yeah short story writer elizabeth taylor just again never heard of her because there's more famous elizabeth taylor but she's just i uh, just yeah really i think she's just in terms of kind of like female sexuality in the kind of 20th century and how she does it just so done so really really well um and then like contemporary writers right like um uh in terms of like short stories sarah hall always kind of comes to my head eb wild contemporary writer she's had a novel out bass rock which is brilliant um yeah i think that really kind of invigorated yeah my uh, my writing and that's probably where that obsession with precision and concision comes from yeah. amazing um, do you have any advice uh, for young writers who might be writing about, um, you mentioned that people are writing kind of thinly veiled versions of themselves. Do you have advice for people who? Oh, well, I mean, what worked for me was uh, uh, not caring about genre and kind of reaching across and looking at memoir. And then and, and this is it, like all those other things in my bio, I just make stuff. You know, yeah. I, I make these big kind of live events and other things and I make little, I work, I collaborate with artists, visual artists all the time. Mm -hmm. Just some things are book shaped. So I think that complete disrespect for genre has been quite useful. Um, and I think it's a growing thing. I think some people you see, um, I think, yeah, I don't think we're so worried about categories. Publishing is a little bit more conservative. It's mm -hmm. a business. So maybe they are, but um, um yeah, I mean, think about the form. That's a very important thing to do. Maybe actually, if it's not working, you should be writing memoir. Or if it is, you know, maybe it is you're on memoir and it should be fiction and not to worry about that. It's not a huge deal to switch. Um, I think that's a really, yeah, that was useful for me. So there's got to be some other writer having the exact same problem. Yeah. Um, and again, go, I, this is only what worked for me is go to the scary dark places and 
be not afraid because yeah there's yeah it really worked it it wasn't until yeah because i avoided this i didn't want to be the disabled guy writing of disabled characters because i didn't want to be put in that box but like this eventually i had to write this story you know um, uh, um we're, we're glad you did uh, and nice. disrespect genre can be your catchphrase now yeah, 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 that's what, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people ask me like, what am I writing next? And I was, I'm not sure, but I can, I can assure you that I will continue to have my disdain mm -hmm. for genre. Yeah. So, um, um, thank you so much for sharing your work with us, Jared. Um, today's guest once again was Jared McGinnis and he was discussing The Coward. You can order your copy at skylightbooks.com or come into the store and pick it up off the shelf. Thank you so much, Jared. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.